Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Across Time Zones. On this episode, we sit down with Mike of 1111 Prints. Mike is the man behind some of the coolest horology art you will see on Instagram. His artistic talent and attention to detail combined make for some incredible prints with a mix of CAD renders, paint splatter, and meticulous hand-drawn designs. He is also a watch collector and one of the pillars of the European watch community. We talk about watches, art, collecting, and his journey into the hobby. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Across time zones. Hey guys. Hey, how's it going? No guys, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Not bad, not bad. Thanks for being with us on the show, Mike. Really happy to have you. Yeah, no problem. Been keen to get on for a while, so good to be on. Sweet. Ah, cool. Uh, so as it is uh, customary on the show, we're going to start with the wrist and time check. Uh, Mike, you're our guest. Why don't you get us started? Yeah, so today I thought I'd uh, flex the MBNF legacy machine with Aquadile. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, I have my Rolex Daytona 116503 on, two-tone. Um, this morning, I've, I've actually done a, a bit of a wrist change today. I started the morning with my BLNR on Super Jubilee, which I uh, borrowed kindly from Flywatch uh, on Instagram. So me and Johnny have been speaking for a while, and he's been kind enough to, to lend me his Super Jubilee for a little while just to see how, how it wears before I uh, pull the trigger or don't. Um, so. Yes, it doesn't actually wear that well, so that's why I've uh, I've changed and, and put my Daytona on. Yeah, the Super Jubilee is interesting because it doesn't have any micro adjustments. No. So if you're in between links, it's either too tight or too big. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, the one with the with the hidden yeah, clasp. Yeah. So it, it, go ahead, Mike. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I was just gonna say. Um, yeah, it did did not wear well very well for me at all. Uh, it, it was just ever so slightly too big, and it uh, just allowed a bit of the case to rock around uh and and lean towards one side so yeah um i think that's kind of put me off oh that's that's not a good thing because I, I i'm looking to get one but i never tried one on so i have to kind of like borrow one for somebody and just try it on to see uh, how it fits see if flywatch will lend you his because he's quite uh he's quite forthcoming with uh, <laughs> loaning out his, his stuff <laughs> and uh yeah he's, he's got plenty <laughs> But yeah, I'd, I'd really recommend... Flywatch if you're listening. Yeah, I'd recommend uh, lending one if you can. Be, and, at least try it beforehand. Allegedly, there is a, a 1.5 link that Rolex makes for the Super Jubilee, which would solve your issues. Yeah. Well, if, you, if you're spending £1,200 on a bracelet, I think you want it to fit right first time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I obviously had the date just 36, uh, the 116234. And that fit really nicely. There was no extra links. It was the hidden clasp. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I think it has to do with the with the size of the case as well. Yeah. What about you, Max? I am uh, wearing my Submariner. I just got off a flight like half an hour ago. Actually, one hour ago, but I just make it here you know, half an hour ago. So it's still I still have to adjust the time. I'm on GMT plus one right now. Oh yeah. What about you, Mike? What time is it where you are? uh it's 11 minutes past five gmt and i am wearing my uh explorer on a super jubilee bracelet which we oh, just yeah. discussed tum, tum. <laughs> yeah. but uh how do you get the bracelets because i know you can you, uh, you can source them from an ad if you already have a watch which came on said bracelet i mean i mean it's it's like the oyster flex bracelet you know uh Everyone asks me how I got it. Um, Mike was asking me last year, for example, and the answer is, realistically, if you can, you should ask your AD and your AD will source you one. That's also, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, that's also how you got yours. Yeah, that's right. Uh, your, your Oyster Flex. Yep. Uh, and it's the same answer for the Super Jubilee. I mean, they're, they're all, as I understand it, they're all supposed to be exchange parts. But I think if you have a good enough relationship with your AD, they'll just order one for you. And if you don't, then I think you can just keep an eye on things like Rolex forums, eBay, so on and so forth, or Instagram. Sometimes people post them for sale. Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they run crazy premiums, especially on the Super Jubilee. I think I've seen yeah. one for $2,500, something like that. Which one? Yeah, in retail, I think it's $1,500. Yeah, so it's uh, like you pay one grand over. It's kind of like... 
kind of like misses the point really yeah and i thought omega nato straps are expensive <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's worth asking every ad i know um we have a, a friend of the show on instagram that uh kept asking around until he eventually found an ad that ordered him a super jubilee and do you need the end link separately or do they come with uh no it's it's solid so they're on the bracelet i mean i uh, for super uh, for oyster flex i'm still going with uh with everest bands so shout out to them <laughs> it's it still works still works for me and uh to be honest i haven't worn my uh any any of my watches on rubber in probably like six months or seven months maybe now that summer's rolling in maybe i'll do that so but yeah i was curious on the super jubilee because i like it better than the actual jubilee which comes on uh on the new uh, GMTs with the clasp, Me I like too. the hidden clasp. It's it's much 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 nicer than that bulky clasp over Jubilee. I don't think it works that well, at least not for me. As I understand it, and I could be wrong here, so if anyone knows, correct me if I'm wrong. But the Super Jubilee is actually discontinued now because the 36 millimeter they just used to come on now has the new um, yeah not hidden clasp. Yeah, that's right. That's what the uh, the AD said to me yesterday when I was in speaking to him. So yeah, that's uh, that's correct. There's no more uh, hidden class for Super Jubilee. So Super Jubilee will take the way of the green Aquanaut strap. <laughs> Damn it! Yeah. <laughs> so I spend a Rolex Explorer getting just one bracelet. Excellent. Life is good. <laughs> <laughs> and it is nine fifteen a.m here in uh, PST in California. So Mike, um, you know, Max and I know you for a while. We were both customers of yours. Uh, but for those who don't know you, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I've been running 1111 prints for just over about two and a half years now. Um, started just basically got a bit of a keen interest in watches. I got a um, an Omega so Speedmaster reduced uh, 1991 just as a first first purchase, and then pretty much straight after I got Seamaster 100 again. It was a 1991 white dial, uh, and then my interest for watches just kind of took off. And then I was following Instagram accounts and keeping an eye on all sorts of releases and and just kind of immerse myself in horology and the watch industry as a whole. Um, and then, you know, as, as you do, when you see watches on, on Instagram and things like that on a, on a daily basis, you, you start pining for something different, something, you know, a Rolex for argument's sake. So I decided to just chop in the Speedy and the Seamaster and, uh, and got a date just. Uh, so, so yeah, I just, I still had the, the Speedy and the, and the Seamaster for a little while. Um, and then I was always thinking about selling them and, and changing up and getting something else. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed to the point where I was thinking, right, I, I'm just going to keep buying watches and <laughs> what's, what's next on the list. So shortly after that, I had a, a Submariner, uh, probably about six months later. And then I'd, I'd, at that time, you just walked into into the the dealer and picked it up and paid retail for it, and life was good. Uh, so anyway, I, I had the sub, and I was thinking, right, okay, so I like watches, I like drawing, I may as well give it a whirl because obviously um, I can use CAD. So uh, I use Inventor 2D, or I have done for the last 13, 14 years of my career. Um, just got pretty good on it to be fair um obviously mechanical engineer cat background design engineer you know work my way through engineering as a whole um to chart ship and uh so yeah over the years developed a decent uh standard of of drafting on on cad and i thought well i'll give a whirl and, and draw my sub uh, and see what see what i can do see how good it comes out and see if i can sell them uh, and it came out in it upon reflection, like looking at the earliest drawings I did it you know it wasn't that great, but it was enough to 
kickstart something which has turned out to be you know quite a decent hobby you know the, the amount of people that have engaged with the result of it so let's go back in time um october 8th 2016 was the first time you posted on instagram is that right uh, under under 11 11 points yeah. and then a few months later you had a successful kickstarter campaign in early 2017 mm-hmm. And then the company grew to what it is now, one of the most prominent horology print companies out there. So tell you, you, t- you were about to touch on this, but tell us about the early days and then how it got to what it is now. Well, I honestly don't know how it, how it got even remotely successful because it was just a punt. It was just a punt. And I thought, well, I'll give it a whirl and see what happens. My whole, my whole idea was to just draw that draw the one sub and uh and then start potentially drawing other pieces and and at that point i didn't really know too much about watches at all didn't really know the models i probably never even heard of like patek and ap at that point because i wasn't really that heavily involved in in uh in watches at all I, obviously rolex is the the most famous brand of watches that there is so uh yeah a bit wet behind the ears to some extent and it, as I said, it just snowballed to the point where you just start knowing references off the top of your head, knowing models from afar. You see something on the TV and you can just say, oh, that's a, you know, Patek 5990. And you just know what it is off the, from even looking at the case from the side. It's, it's bizarre. But, um, but yeah, as I said, it, it just started off as a bit of a punt, a bit of a hobby. Um, and, and just seeing where it, where it ended up and, I remember starting a big cartel. I had like three prints on there. I think the first one was the the Submariner uh, 11661LN, the one I had, and then I did the uh, an AP and I think a Hublo, and and just kind of started consolidating a bit of a, a library of of watch drawings basically. And then you, people start taking an interest. They start making orders, and then you think, right, okay, well, let's run with it. Let's do random models let's take commissions on uh and and that's basically what i did um and here we are today you know doing some pretty good pretty decent artwork by my my standards i don't consider myself a particularly talented artist but you know people seem to like them oh you are you are talented appreciate that appreciate that but yeah i mean uh some i mean there's, there's pieces that you do and you sit back and you think oh yeah that's that's decent. You know, I like, I like how it looks. 90% of the time, I genuinely sit, start a commission and think, fuck, this is going to be so hard. I've bitten off more than I can chew. I'm going to have to refund the customer. <laughs> uh, and then you get, you get partway through and you think, oh yeah, it's coming to life and you're not such a, a moron after all. Yeah. I think the wor- the hardest part is the blank canvas. You just sit there and stare at the white background and they're like what yeah. the fuck should i draw right yeah. now or what the fuck should i do regardless <laughs> we've all been there but uh speaking of that how, how how what's your process like uh what uh how do you decide what comes next do you take commissions uh yeah yeah uh, do they take priority or well i guess so many people dming me on instagram all the time saying can you draw this can you draw that um and i always Think, oh yeah, I'll do that next commission. No bother. I'm I'm part way through this, and I'll say, uh, wait a couple of weeks because I'm just finishing off something. Um, and then when I come to the end of the commission, someone will DM me at that time, and because it's been you know a while since someone else has DM'd me, you just kind of roll into the next commission um, because you don't. I don't have to chase the work if you know what I mean. The work kind of comes to me. That's the ideal situation to be yeah. in, especially as a as a creative, as an artist. That uh, that's probably the holy grail. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I've never really gone that long without having a commission, um, you know, someone who's in the background asking for something to be drawn. So yeah, it's a good position to be in, um, and I honestly did not expect to be in this position when I started. And do you get like a blank canvas? You can do whatever you want, like. Somebody comes in, uh, I need something, like, draw me a, whatever, uh, 5712 Tiffany dial, shout out to BZ. 
um, and Charlie Sheen for that matter. Um, oh yeah, that, that video was too too good. That was amazing. Uh, but yeah, uh, do you decide on what to do, or do they have an idea and then you try to incorporate it? Yeah, generally. I mean, I guess I have a few styles. One being just the, the blank case with not much going on. Then obviously there's I do like abstract stuff with paint splats and drips and um and then recently i think people are more gravitating towards the pencil work the the stuff that's more realistic and and that's the stuff that i kind of i like the abstract stuff that's that it's an easy one for me um because it just kind of comes naturally and it's quick uh and it looks good but the pencil work you know it's so time consuming um i usually like go go to it a few hours a day over numerous days um, in order to get to a finished piece. So, yeah, it really depends on on the client and, and what what they want, what style they want, how much they want to spend, uh, because obviously it's just kind of an hourly, hourly rate basis. I'll just estimate how many hours it'll take um, and then and then charge accordingly. So, yeah, I mean, the client the client drives it. Um, some people don't like the abstract stuff. Some people want to have something that looks more realistic. So I'd say, you know, have a look through the page, have a look through the artwork that I've done, um, pick a style, and then uh, and then we'll discuss everything after that. I mean, that's cool that you can, you can give them the choice. Like, uh, here's what I've done. Here's what I can do. Yeah, and if people don't don't want it, then that's their prerogative. Um, if they don't want to spend that much, you know, it's entirely up to them. You know, people have different budgets and people have different. Um, opinions about what's fair in terms of pricing so at the end of the day if someone decides that they don't want it it's just no hard feelings you know it's they just decide not to go with it and and that's that and it's, it's, it works for me because as I said I, I'm not really chasing commissions I'm not chasing work um, and it is just a hobby so I'm not exactly chasing like the financial side of it either it's, it's if I have something on if I have commissions on great if I don't then you know it's no biggie I mean, a Rolex won't pay for itself anyway. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's um, that's one of the one of the benefits of of drawing them and having it as a hobby. You have that, that little bit of extra disposable income, so you can put it towards the next watch or the next ridiculous super jubilee. I mean, technically, your BNR mm-hmm. should you sell it now would pay for another watch and itself. So, it would. I don't know, Max. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love the BLNR. I don't ever think I would sell it because I, I think it's just a great looking watch. Um, I really wanted one well before the hype and then it blew up to the point where I never thought I would have one. It was just absolutely ridiculous. I was going into like my AD um, and saying, you know, I've, I've had a few uh, Rolexes from you now what's the chances of me getting a BLNR? And he was like, hmm, yeah, probably about 13, 14 years. <laughs> so, so I honestly didn't think I'd, don't, didn't think I'd have one. And then through connections on Instagram, started speaking to a guy um, who worked at the AD, who no longer works there. Um, and he ended up having one for me, I would say, from the same AD about six weeks later. Oh, that's funny. So it just goes to show it's not really what you know, it's who you know. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, really, really lucky. Yeah. Really lucky. Just through connections on Instagram and, and speaking to people. That's awesome. So you and I have known each other for, for a while now, and I have a few of your prints adorning my walls, as we uh, mentioned earlier. And it, it's been, you touched on this when you, when you described your journey and, and your growth. It's been really fascinating to see kind of your art evolve over the years and i think one of the coolest things i've seen you do is using luminous paint uh, on on prints to emulate the experience we get with our watches in the dark um so i guess the question is how do do you come up with new inspiration like that i mean i like i do like to do something different i do like to bring something different to the table and my style is is kind of contemporary and it's it is kind of modern. It's a bit of a fusion because with being an engineer, I do like like crisp lines. I like the crispness of, you know, an engineering drawing. Um, so, I mean, the 
there's an inspiration on Instagram all the time. There's so many new artists coming through, um, are doing all sorts of unbelievable work. Obviously, you got the you got the the originals like Julie Crawley and um, shout out to Julie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she she's the goat for me. You see her work and it's absolutely ridiculous. Obviously, that's goals uh, to be at that level. She's also Canadian, at the same so time. makes her even more awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, that, uh, that doesn't get any uh, any brownie points from me, but I do have a, quite a, a strong connection to Canada. Uh, you know, I've made some really good, uh, you know, watch fan friends on Instagram from, from Canada. So, yeah, it's, it's a cool place. And, and they seem to appreciate artwork over that way, especially watch artwork. So, yeah, I think it, it works well. So yeah, as I was saying, you know, there's inspiration from from new artists. There's inspiration from new watches. Every time there's a new release, it just gives you, you know, another avenue to pursue, another watch to draw. the 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 watch industry is always changing. There's always new models. You know, I'm never struggling to think, all right, what can I draw next? There's always something. You know, if it's it's easy, it's an easy easy topic because there's so much diversity in the industry there's so many random watches you get all the you know the you know the joker and richard mill you know uh there's just so many options to to go down you never stuck for anything you never stuck for something to draw you never stuck for a style to work with if you want to use loads of color you just pick a you know a watch with a, a matte color like it's quite straightforward to to pick it pick inspiration up from from uh, instagram for definite i mean it's cool that you're trying out like every possible uh, new thing uh you can think of like loom that's one of my i mean I, i've seen that it's it blows my mind it's like super super awesome to see to have a painting which has loom on it which is i don't know yeah it it really it got me thinking like wow so you can actually do that? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's 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 amazing. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a difficult process. Yeah, it's a difficult process to to put the loom on because uh, you have to you have to lay it on pretty thick. You have to tape off all the areas so it doesn't run. So you've got a nice crisp edge. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a nightmare, but the the outcome is is generally pretty good. So is it actually super luminova or something very very similar then um, to Yeah, it's pretty much the most powerful um luminous paint you can get commercially. So I I don't know whether it would be a lot better and a lot easier for me if I could get the super lumi- uh, super luminova paint from, you know, a, a watch manufacturer, but I'm pretty sure it's not commercially available i've I've tried to find uh the best loom paint that i can and, and what i've got is about as good as it gets you have to you have to kind of mix it yourself so uh to our friends at rolex please give the man some chroma light yeah he, he promises he won't he won't be like uh stealing the recipe and stuff like that you reverse <laughs> engineer the whole thing i might <laughs> let's not let's not draw a line under anything <laughs> where do uh one thing i think i find interesting is is you always seem to be shipping stuff all over the world. Where where do your customers come from in general? And then, what are some of the most interesting stories of people or or people you've had a chance to meet through Eleven Eleven Prints? Um, yeah, as you said, I I do ship all over the world, and I seem to be shipping a lot to Canada, as I said, um, a lot to the states. Um, you know, a lot a lot of it is is UK. But also, there's probably equal amounts to um, Europe, Germany, uh, all this, like the Scandinavian countries. Everyone seems to be pretty keen on on the uh, on the artwork I'm doing. So there's no, I wouldn't say there's any boundaries. I've I think I've shipped to well over thirty countries. I'll be able to uh, to let you know because I kind of I keep a, a log. So I've shipped to twenty five percent of the world, forty five percent of Europe. Um, you know, it's, it's a hefty, hefty number of countries: Australia and and Brazil. Yeah, a lot to a lot to Hong Kong and, and China and things like that. Philippines. So uh, yeah, it's 
there's no there's no limit to where anyone would want to uh, to pick up the artwork from as I'm sh- I'm sending sending artwork all over really. Do you ever do hand deliveries in in the UK? Uh, every now and then, a lot of <sighs> every now and then it's there's not a lot because I would say the interest in the UK is predominantly south. Um, so London, um, you know, I have clients coming home coming over over from um, China and Hong Kong and things like that, and they're staying in London and they want me to get them shipped to hotels and things. So uh, there's there's not really many hand deliveries. I do a few every now and then, but 90% of the time, yeah, it's it's shipped. Sometimes people will collect if they're, if they're local, but as I said, it's pretty rare um, and people just want the convenience of having it delivered to the house. So Here's a weird question. Uh, why don't you like 1010? Why, where's the, why is the company called 1111? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a good question. So, yeah, 1010 is obviously the, uh, the hand positions of, of pretty much every, every um, photograph of a watch on commercial images. 1111 is basically before this whole thing started, before I even considered probably buying a watch or had a watch, uh, I kept seeing on my iPhone or computer screen 1111 at the time. So every, every time I checked the time, it would be 1111. Could have been to do with the fact that I'm never off my phone, or it could have been to do with the fact that I felt like it was a significant number. Um, and yeah, I just seen 1111 all the time. And I, I used to say to, to my wife, who wasn't my wife at the time, but um, I used to say to my wife, you know, I keep seeing 1111. It must be significant. I don't know what it means. It must have some sort of meaning. And then when I started doing the watch artwork, it just kind of, it was just kind of like the inevitable choice to, to use 1111. Um, and then since since becoming 1111, I've seen it just as much, if not more. Um, and then, yeah, people also seem to find it a significant number. So I see on um on the internet, when I was looking for uh, a logo, there was so many, like, almost spiritual um, ties to 11.11. I mean, it, not for me. I, I'm not really spiritually inclined at all. I don't believe in any of that nonsense. But uh, but people do tend to have some sort of affiliation with 11.11. Uh, and then I just kind of fell into having that as my is my company name. Oh, that's cool. And here's a fun fact. At the time of recording, uh, Mike's Instagram has uh, 11, 11 posts and he's following 11, yeah. 11 people. Oh, that's so true. That's <laughs> correct. That's not, by, uh, that's not by chance either. So once I got to, um, I think I used to follow like 2,000 followers. Uh, I used to follow like 2,000 people and my posts weren't at 11, 11 for a while but once i got to 11.11 posts i unfollowed you know quite a lot of deadwood uh just to get it to 11.11 posts and 11.11 following Uh, and i keep that up every time so if there's someone i knew i want to follow i'll have a flick through and see who's not you know not really engaging with me or doesn't follow me or whatever and then i'll unfollow them and follow the new person Uh, and every time i post a new post i'll delete or archive a post so to keep it 11 11 posts and 11 11 following oh that's interesting yeah yeah so that's that's why it's, it's been stuck on 11 11 for quite a while and people people sometimes dm and say oh do you know that you're on 11 11 i was like oh yeah it's intentional so <laughs> it's just kind of a it's a bit of a visual thing i suppose when you go on go on the page and and see 11 11 as the company 11 11 as the consistent numbers across the top obviously i want the more the more followers than the better because that means People are interested, but uh, everyone unfollow eleven eleven <laughs> until he gets to eleven eleven. <laughs> yeah, but that's super cool, and and I mean, yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's such a it's such an artist thing to do when you talk about you know the the visual consistency. Yeah, it's a bit of a fun spin, fun spin on everything. <laughs> so yeah, that's what that's that's the story behind that. That's awesome. So shifting gears into watches. 
uh, you you talked to us a little bit earlier about your journey into watches and and how you've you come you came to acquire your your Submariner and your Datejust. Where did it go from there, and where is it going from here? Um, I'm one of them people who see something and want it. <laughs> and uh, you know, if I've got to save up for X amount of years to to get it, then you know I'll have like a journey and I'll have a a goal and a target to get there and eventually acquire something that I that I want. Uh, so when, as I said, when I had the date just, it was like, right, what's next? Yeah, I'm I'm hooked. I'm hooked on watch collecting. I'm hooked on buying watches. Um, I suppose I've always been hooked on watches because there was a time when I was a teenager. I think I had about five Armani watches. So I guess with me, like variety really is the spice of life and, and being able to switch, switch it up on a daily basis to something different, to something that might, matches your outfit, I suppose is something that I'm, I'm obviously quite uh, keen to do. So when I had the, the date just, I moved on to the sub. Um, and then after the sub, what did I have after the sub? Uh, yeah, so I got the Daytona after the sub. Uh, and the Daytona was kind of um, a grail for me. And the goal, when I started selling watch prints, I thought, right, I'm just going to put all the money that I sell from um, the watch it, from the watch prints into a pot, get the money that I need based on a hobby, and then buy something from the hobby that I want. And that happened to be the Daytona. It wasn't the two-tone that I wanted. It was the the ceramic which obviously everyone wanted but you know how how rare they are to come by so seeing the daytona went into uh went into the jewelers tried it on deliberated with the wife and said you know what do you think and she was like well you know yeah you're, you're saving your money you know uh you want if you want it just go ahead and, and i was like oh well i don't know you know it's a big chunk to to spend on on it and she was like well you know you, that's the whole point of doing your watch prints and and working towards a goal so uh yeah i took the took the daytona and i was pretty buzzing with it you know i, I have it on now i absolutely love it it's a great looking watch and then i just carried so, on doing the same sorry, thing so kept quickly on just the money. before we move on for the, from the daytona i have a question um okay so when you when you bought the two-tone daytona it's obviously uh, the re the, the retail cost of the two-tone daytona is obviously higher than the the ceramics or at the time, steel Daytona. I don't know if it was ceramic yeah. or not yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. And that was early on when the ceramic Daytona came out, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep. So I guess my question is, and, and, and let me preface by saying that your, your Daytona is gorgeous. And if anything, you're one of the people that wears two-tone the best. I... Thank you. It's it's not something that really works on me, and sometimes I wish it, it did. Like the uh, the new two tone GMT, uh, the root beer. I think it's a beautiful watch. I just I have a hard time personally liking it on myself, but I think it's beautiful. So my question is, given that this was early on when the ceramic Daytona came out, and the premium wasn't nearly as much as it is now, and yeah. you spent a little bit more to get the two tone, why didn't you go the gray market route? Did you fall in love with the two tone when you? you saw it or did you not want to go the green market route and wanted to get your own with, you know, from the AD yourself? I'm just curious as to the thought process. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a fusion of the two, really. I'm always skeptical about buying gray because I mean, you don't know what you really, what you're buying, especially, especially now, now the ceramics been out so long and the watch has been released so long. You don't, unless you know how old it is, if, unless it's pretty fresh. Yeah. I'm kind of a bit skeptical about gray. Um, at the time, I, I recall trying on a black ceramic in a jeweler's, and I think that was about thirteen and a half thousand pounds. Now I paid um, twelve, twelve four for my um, two tone. So I guess the, the the jump wasn't too much, but I guess I probably begrudged paying the premium full stop because. I guess I'm one of them people that, you know, want to pay the going rate for, for something. But I, I mean, I'm not adverse to, to buying grey. Uh, I guess if it's from a trusted source and everything, then then there's no reason why you can't. 
But uh, I guess just at the time, the watch just pulled me. You know, you know what it's like when you try something on and they take the links out just to match your wrist. And th- that was just an easy decision at the time. I always thought, right, well, I'm, rather than pay great, you may as well pay the going rate for a watch that's got, you know, 50% gold through it. Yeah, it makes sense. So, uh, so yeah, um, I think that's probably where my my mind was at. Um, I can't I can't really remember. <laughs> it seems like such a long time ago since I've had this watch now. But uh, but yeah, still still pine after the the ceramic. Definitely, it's um, something that crops up so frequently on on Instagram now. When you're scrolling, everyone's saying new watch alert, and there seem to be a few more pandas creeping through. Uh, I don't know how long you've had yours for, Max. Uh, almost a year. Like, uh, I think I bought it in oh, yes. June or July. I think end of June. Because uh, today, actually, by the time of uh, recording, my uh, date just just turned one. Yeah. So I, w- I was in Paris at uh, Dubai, at the AD, and I, I just... W- I mean, I tried hunting one down with my AD, and uh, last year, on this day, my date just... Uh, came into my life <laughs> happy birthday i'll bring the cake <laughs> cool so uh, how, how do you find the panda i assume you love it um to be honest it's um i don't know it's fucking mental <laughs> no i mean it's yeah. um it, it's one of the one of those exceptions you kind of have to make at some point like i, I initially when uh, when it came out in 2016 i was like oh i need to get the black dial that was even before i ever considered having a watch specific instagram account i just liked uh, the black dial but after like just looking at those uh those watches and uh, like uh i don't know just looking i i managed to see them side by side i never got the chance to try it on like i bought the daytona like uh sight unseen almost to some extent uh, so I've seen them yeah. side by side, and I was like, uh, the black one, I don't know, just looks better with the steel bezel than it does with the ceramic. But the the panda was like, oh, this works. The balance of the dial, uh, the whole black and white theme with the ceramic bezel in full black, glossy, and then you have the sub that's the rings, which are black. It just just works. It's still it's still one of my favorite. Uh, uh, favorite dials to date yeah uh, although i have to admit i hate the whole like uh oyster perpetual chronograph whatever shit they oh yeah dump on the dial like five lines of text i, don't know, I think it's pretty pointless but i mean they're rolex they have to advertise yeah don't burn that bridge that's what they do no 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 it's rolex <laughs> so he- all hell rolex <laughs> the thing is though i'm just looking at looking at the dial now I think if you reduced it to say three or three or two lines, <clears throat> I think it would look a bit strange. So I- yeah, it will. I mean, I tried it. I, I tried. It. I photoshopped. Oh, it. Yeah. So I photoshopped it and just kept. Like I actually moved Rolex down. I moved Oyster Perpetual down. But for some reason, I think it's probably because we got so used to seeing like five dials, uh, five lines of text. It's uh, it looks odd with just saying Rolex or just saying Rolex Oyster Perpetual. I don't know. It's, but yeah, I mean, I, I got used to it. I, I don't mind it that much. I think that's my only pet peeve with the watch that it has too much text on the dial. I mean, that first is, world that problems. That is very minor. Yeah, I think there's probably quite a few people that'll say, right, I'll just take that take that panda off your hands and not worry about the, the five lines of text. Oh, man. There, there were like uh, a dozen people at least who said, ah, I'm willing to pay premium. Yeah. No, sorry. I'd, ra- I'd rather sell my Batman before yeah, I sell no. the panda. Yeah, yeah definitely. I'm with you there. It's not necessarily because of because it's a Daytona and it's uh, got more value because I I uh, so I posted the other day I posted one uh, uh, one one photo on Instagram which had uh, the Submariner the BLNR and the um, the Daytona and asked people oh, yeah. like uh, you you should ditch one to uh, to keep two and most of the people ironically chose to ditch the sub because it was the least hype an easy choice i guess yeah yeah and um 
I would be one of those people who would ditch the BLNR just because it has a date. Yes. Like, I don't want to be bothered. I mean, I'm traveling now with uh, the Panerai, with uh, my sub no date, just because I don't have to adjust anything. It's like I, I move it one hour and that's it. It's so much easier with uh, time only. I mean, that's just me. I mean, people prefer dates, which is fine. I mean, people prefer perpetual calendars, which is fine. But yeah. for me, it's uh, I, no yeah. date, three-hander, Works I would, I would the ditch. The yeah, for me, I can, I can do. Sub. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry, I said I, I ditch the sub because I'm a sub date guy, really, and uh, I love the BLNR and the Panda speaks for itself. So, if it was me, I would definitely get rid of the sub. Yeah, for me, it would be the BLNR as well, and not necessarily because of the date, although I am a no date guy, but it's almost because of the Cyclops. I'm. I'm not a Cyclops guy. As a matter of fact, my Polar is with Rolly Works right now for a service. And one of the things I asked them to do is to pop the the crystal off and put a, a Submariner, a no-date sub-crystal on there. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Have I told you I love you on air? No, I didn't. I love you. Oh, I and love you fuck too. the Cyclops. And I'm sorry, Rolex, <laughs> but fuck the Cyclops. Worst Ooh. invention ever. There's that bridge now. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> they have enough uh, non-Cyclops watches uh, so I can still get by. And, uh, I mean, Panerai does them reversed. I think they, they, uh, they kind of like do the Cyclops uh, behind the glass, like towards the dial. And I think that works better. I just, I don't like the hump. The hump bugs me. It's, it's yeah. annoying. It catches dust. I, I, don't like, I don't like not being able to see the date from an angle. If I'm actually... It just, I don't know, it just distorts the view of the dial. And then when when the hand is gliding underneath the Cyclops, it looks wonky because the part that's underneath the Cyclops is huge and the, the rest of the hand that isn't is normal sized. I don't know, it just, again, it's just... You're too petty. What's that? You're, too, you, you're both petty. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, think, we just know we, what we I like. I think Rolex generally know what they're doing, guys. <laughs> uh, speaking of speaking of that uh, uh how do you feel about uh basel 2019 uh, i'm pretty much with everyone big disappointment i was hoping for red sub a coke something something that wasn't a two turns um sea dweller just disappointed really i think the blnr on jubilee was just lazy yeah, it was so underwhelming. I was disappointed. I mean, it wasn't lazy. I mean, it was lazy. Uh, we have to admit that. But it's. Uh, I think it was. It makes financial sense for them because imagine it's the same case. It's the same bracelet. It's the same movement. It's uh, except for the GMT hand and the bezel. It's the same watch as the B. Yeah, but they already had all that with the Pepsi. Exactly. So it's for them, like just in terms of uh, manufacturing. The watches, it's like a no-brainer. Mm. It's it's profit. Yeah, I can see point there, bro. But yeah, I, I'm with you on the Sea uh, Dweller two tone, which I think it's the shittiest move they could have made in the past ten years. It's not a bad looking watch, but it's just not for me. No, I mean it's uh, it, it's the end of the actual tool watch because I think the Sea Dweller was somehow considered as being the ultimate tool watch Rolex made. Yeah. It's it was the ultimate submariner it was like the peak of uh, submersible engineering Rolex would do, and then you they come up with uh, with a two tone which is like their departure from we're a tool watch company and moving towards a we're a luxury brand so whatever it is it's we're we're up there with the other guys like Patek and AP and so on. I think that's what that watch signals. At least that's how I perceive it. Yeah, yeah, I can see your point. But then, and then you hear things about the price increases and, and things like that moving into moving into the, the luxury market. So we shall see. By the way, did did, did Omega uh, increase their prices recently? I've heard some rumors, or or I mean, I've seen some uh, Instagram stories, but I never got any official uh, info on that. I heard the rumors as well, but I. I, don't, I haven't heard anything official either. I think they did. And and I know Panerai is also doing it. 
Those fuckers, Richmond. Why, why would Panerai increase their prices <laughs> again? Panerai is already overpriced as it is. Yeah, I mean, they, they look at, you know, they look at AP, they look at uh, Patek, they look at Rolex and everything they're doing with maintaining value and controlling supply uh, in the market. And it's obviously done really well for all three brands there. Uh, you know, the watch community isn't happy about what they're doing, but the public... Um, that is buying any AP or any Rolex, you know, not just looking for a steel Daytona or a 5711, um, is happy because now they know they're buying into a prestigious brand that holds their value, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess other brands are looking at that and wanting to do the same. And Panerai is historically a brand that gets discounted heavily by ADs and that does not hold their value and is widely available. So I wonder if the price increase is a sign of, of uh, a future market shift as well yeah i mean i like panerai i think the great looking watch i tried tried on the uh the pan 535 um a while ago that was like seven thousand eight hundred pounds retail and i just thought that is just a heavy price tag for this watch it was a gmt i think it was 40 mil case um and it wore really well but in the back of my mind i was thinking i'm not going to pay that for something that will be worth half the price in a few years because it will just appreciate so much. Yeah. If I, if I ever bought a Panerai, it would definitely be secondhand. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing with Panerai and Omega, I mean, if even if they want to, like, uh, level up to, say, um, not in terms of quality and it, it mostly be in terms of marketing, um, if they want to level up to Rolex, AP, whatever it is, like they should stop doing like hundreds of limited editions like that kills the whole premium market like you you you're not able to uh to play premium if you're putting out a limited edition every month and i'm waiting for omega to launch yeah. their 50s anniversary moon landing 321 powered whatever it is oh, yeah. and i'll be like eh, okay whatever and I'll piss off a lot of Omega fans, but it's, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you, if if you want to play uh, in that, like, premium, like, we're uh, for a selected few kind of league, you got to really be, like, in a selected few kind of league. Like, just stop the nonsense with 100 limited editions. Yeah. Just do one. Yeah. Do, I don't know, do three a year. It's enough. They are frequent. It's, the two frequent. That's how limited the, Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I mean... And Panerai, that's the same. Yeah. The Ultraman Speedy came out like on the Tuesday, and I think on the Friday they released the Hodinkee Mark Forty or whatever it is. <laughs> and the guy, the, like, it was so short time between. I just felt pretty bad for the Ultraman buyers who obviously rushed out and got this new Speedy, and then all of a sudden there was like another limited edition Speedy within the space of a few days or whatever it was. I just thought it was a bit of a shitty move, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it, it's weird that they do that. And, I mean, they have they have the following, and they have people who buy those. And the Ultraman was uh, sold out very very quickly, and they're selling it some sort of a premium, not as high as a Snoopy, but uh, yeah. But I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, if you want to go premium, you either cut the stock, you cut the uh, the availability of uh, of the watch, or you just do like. Ex- um, actual limited editions which I don't know you do a thousand pieces and that's it and for the I don't know for the foreseeable future 12 months whatever it is there's no more limited edition that makes it like limited edition because otherwise the limited editions will be the new default the new whatever it is but it's not yeah. it's also not just the frequency but also the amount like the quantity of the limited, like you look at Omega and they say they put limited edition on the watch, but there's it's limited to 3000 pieces. Like that's not limited at all. Yeah. You know, and then you look at some other manufacturers and it's limited to 100 or 50. Like that's actually limited. Or you look at H. Moser yeah. and it's limited to 10 and you're like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's probably because there's only 10 people out there that can buy them. Yeah. I mean, almost <laughs> half a million for a minute the new ones yeah i mean three i don't know 300 400 swiss francs i don't don't even know the exact amount but it's it was mental it's too much for us peasants anyway yeah exactly 
I drink too much, so my kidneys aren't worth. <laughs> yeah. Probably not even uh, like a 10% of that. <laughs> so I have to find other means. So Basil World wasn't wasn't a hit for you, Mike. What what are you what are you looking forward to? Yeah. Uh, in terms of your, of your watch collecting right now, do you have anything that you have your sights on, be it Rolex or not? Um. Well, I'm kind of kind of chewing my ad's ear off about getting me the panda still, and I'm onto him quite a lot. So you know what you were saying before, Max, about. Um, the bezel being glossy and it just looking the dog's bollocks pretty much 24-7. So that's the thing that pains me about this two-tone Daytona is that it just picks up micro-scratches on the bezel as well as the bracelet. Obviously, gold being pretty soft metal is probably more prone to, to scratches than, than anything. So it can, in certain lights, look a bit worn, a bit dated, Um and the last thing I want to do is polish it and take the sharp corners off. So my only option is to live with the scratches. And that's what draws me to the ceramic bezels. And I think that's why I like them so much is because they're pretty robust. They're the same color all the way through. Uh, if you scratch it, it still looks like the same the same piece. It hides it a lot better. Um, so, yeah, as I said, I'm chewing my ADs ear off to get me a panda. As it happens, they've got one coming in next uh, next week, but I'm in the part of probably many, um, so I'm under no illusions that I might not get it, but there is a slim chance that there could be a call next week, but we'll see. I'm not counting my chickens anyway. Yeah, fingers crossed for you. Everything crossed. I think it's interesting that he would tell you there's one coming next week if it's not for you, because that's just a tease. <laughs> yeah, it's a massive tease. Yeah, it's a huge tease. But he, he just he just says, you know, you're in the pot. Um, I need to speak with the manager. Leave it with me, and that's that's you know that's the way it goes. And the guy's been nothing but honest with me from from day dot. And uh, yeah, he's he's just been pretty straight with me. And if it happens, it happens. Great. You know, if it doesn't. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to cry in, uh, in my cereal about it. So, you know, I've got. I've got the two tone. I've got the BLNR, the Hulk, and a sub. So, I think in the grand scheme of things, I can be pretty happy with uh, with what I've got. And I think sometimes you just need to take a step back and and just appreciate what you do have rather than what mm-hmm. you don't. Um. So, yeah. If as I said, if the panda happens, then then cool. If it doesn't, then you know we'll we'll wait. We'll carry on waiting. Nice. Do you um uh, you mentioned you mentioned yeah. a lot of of the the watch you know customers you get uh, from eleven eleven Prince are in the south. Uh, do you find where you are um, there's a bit less of a local watch community and you have to travel to like places like London to interact with other members of the community or? Well, yeah, I mean it's it's funny you should mention that because there is Red Bar events throughout the UK. There's one in. Um, Glasgow and Edinburgh, which I've kind of registered an interest in, but it's usually it usually clashes with work commitments and commitments at home. So and the, and they're always during the week, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, so I'd need to travel up there, stay overnight, and get a hotel and take a day's holiday with work. So it doesn't really work that well for me. Um, and the London one, Alan, if you're listening, you should let Mike crash at your house after Red Bar Glasgow. <laughs> well, it's not just that, and also <laughs> ring up my boss and tell him that I'm not coming in the next day. Uh, so uh, Dave can do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean the events are, are pretty few and far between uh, for me, and it's it's just quite a bit of a, a logistical nightmare uh, to actually attend. So. Um, as I said, I mentioned Flywatch before. We're kind of in the process of setting up a Red Bar Northeast. So this is a bit of an exclusive. We, we've developed a bit of an interest. There's a few guys that we speak to. We've had a, a very small get-together of a, a few guys from the Northeast, and we, we went up to Newcastle um, and just had a, a good chat about watches and things. So I think there's an opportunity there to, to do something a bit more central central to Great Britain, Britain if you're if you will, and then um, who knows, you know, we might be hosting our own Red Bar events before That's long. That's awesome. Yeah, if anyone's listening and you're in the new Newcastle area, reach out to Mike and show your interest. Yeah, it's always great to see new groups form and just see the community grow and grow all over the world. I think that's 
the best part of this whole thing is is the people at the end of the day we all love our watches and it, you get funny feelings wearing them and it's fun exciting but the people you meet and the people you get to be to become friends with are are just the best yeah exactly i was just listening to um your podcast before i was just drawing a drawing the hulk uh, i've got a commission on for a, for a guy in new york um and i just thought oh, i'll just stick the podcast on for a, a little while and i just finished off the one with the curious horology and um and then i went on to the uh watch patina and he was just saying that you know some of his best friends are through like the hobby through watch collecting and and speaking about watches and i think if you have such a, an interest in a certain topic um and people are like minded then you know you develop that relationship you automatically have um some common ground and that just makes it a whole lot easier uh, and that's probably why you you know you you're quite similar people so you hit it off and that's why you, they become you you very good friends very much like me and UOT, you know, we've we've been speaking for a few years now, and yeah, so without having ever met you, you still feel like a you know like a friendship or you know affiliation with with someone you've never met. Yeah, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. So yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens with the Red Bar Northeast. Well, on on that note and on that exclusive, I think uh, we definitely wish you the best. Hope it, it works out for you. Uh, do you have any parting words for our listeners? Any any advice for anyone wanting to get into similar kind of art that you're you're doing? Yeah, I mean, just persevere, make mistakes, learn, try and develop your artwork. Look for a niche. Um, you know, artwork is pretty expressive, and there's no right or wrong way to do it. If you look at you know people's artwork out there, it's very so much. And there's no reason why anyone can't can't do it. I'm, you know, I'm not trying to preach, but as I said, I don't find my, I don't consider myself particularly talented. I, I wouldn't say I'm, you know, the best artist, but I suppose if you do it enough times, you get good at it. It's like anything. So if you feel obliged to, yeah, I'm really good at stick figures. Well, just keep doing them, and then you'll be the best stick figurer <laughs> in in Canada or or, or uh, San Fran. <laughs> wherever so uh yeah that that's i don't really have any advice other than give it a whirl you know if you feel compelled to do it then see where it takes you and just persevere awesome well thanks so much for being this mike it was really fun having you really fun chatting yeah totally um, totally thank you as always max no thank you I feel guilty because uh i know 90 percent of the podcasts have been like how good photographers are and stuff like that where I don't I don't take any any photographs on on a camera I just take them on my phone and then upload them to Instagram. So Hey, but it it, ju it just so happens that the people were photographers and not all of them and and I always say you know about this podcast it's about connecting the community to the community and putting a voice and a and a, a personality behind some of the Instagram accounts. So I think this was great. You know, you bring a lot of different perspective um I think art is just something incredible like me, as a whole and and what you're doing is awesome. So we were definitely looking forward to having you. And OT read, read my mind right now. So he just said cool. all the stuff I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, honey. <laughs> yeah. Ma Max and I spend way too much time together. My missus is jealous. You can just uh, kind of just have one, one host now and just alternate. Nah, it wouldn't be the same without Max. <laughs> the, the dynamic works the way it I'm is so if you if we would move in together it would be more difficult <laughs> plus not sure the ladies would agree and so on it's uh, plus the dogs like uh Oti has two huge dogs i love i yeah. love bernie's uh dogs they're like one, one of my favorites and i have like a tiny like ducks hunt and the ducks <laughs> hunt usually uh is uh kind of like he wishes he was the alpha in every every situation and uh i had to like literally uh grab him from the claws and from the jaws of a uh, german shepherd at some point like oh, he no. was holding on to his head because he was stupid enough for being a whatever it is like five six pound dog well i don't know how much he weighs but anyway the more probably 10 pound dog and uh, attacking a like full bro full-blown uh german shepherd but yeah so the dog situation would allow wouldn't allow for it so, so here's yeah. a here's a quick fact ben who's our pu puppy who's about just over a year old now 
He just had a vet appointment and he weighs 112 pounds. Holy Isn't shit. that insane? <laughs> That's nearly as much as me. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. Our puppy. It sounds so like, oh, it's our puppy and he weighs like 120 pounds. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they're so adorable. They're like so adorable. Yeah, they're fun. He's just a big teddy bear. All right. Well, on that note, thank you both for taking the time. Thank you. Mike, thanks so much for coming on. Max, thank you as always. No worries. And we'll catch everyone on the next Hopefully one. Hopefully you'll see, see a panda on my Instagram next week. I doubt it. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Spotify or iTunes and also please leave us a review. Thank you and catch you on the next one.